Welcome to All Things Church Planting, a podcast dedicated to empathize with and empower the church planter. We aim to walk alongside you in your unique calling through real stories and relevant topics. We're a production of the 80 plus million initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You can check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Here are your hosts, Justin Thornton, coming from Glass City, USA, and Todd Sovine, coming from his aggressively creepy basement. What's going on, Church Planting World? Welcome to the second installment of All Things Church Planting. What a treat we have for you today. Pastor Tanks and Pastor Calvin Dorsey come at you from Sandusky and Cleveland, respectively, teaching us how to plant in under-resourced areas, teaching how those resourced churches can help a little bit, what makes sense, how the gospel wins, uh, what are the joys and what are the pains. I learned so much from this episode. I hope you do too. Sit back and enjoy. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're vacuuming. Maybe you're mowing the lawn. Maybe you're in the car. But sit back and enjoy this second installment of All Things Church Planting. What's going on, Church Planting World? This is, again, All Things Church Planting, where we talk about all things church planning. We really love to tell church planning stories and highlight specific topics that are deeply relevant to your church planting effort. We pray that this encourages you, picks you up, lets you know that someone is hitting the same struggle that you're hitting. And also, we hope that you know whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're a free agent, someone who would love a relationship, a covering, someone in need of coaching and intentionality, we want you to know that we're here. We believe that God wants to stretch the corners of his kingdom out, and we want to stretch those corners with you. Church planning is about relationships, and there's a chance that we could be one of those critical relationships for you. We are the 80 plus initiative. And I'm going to say hi to my co-host, Todd Sovine, the leader of that initiative. Hey, Todd. Hey, Justin. Before we get into our guest today, would you tell us a little bit about that 80 plus million initiative? Yeah. So the 80 plus million initiative comes out of the Christian Missionary Alliance and uh, part of the central region of the alliance, which constitutes the states from Colorado to West Virginia, uh, Minnesota to Missouri. And in there, you find eight different districts that have said, look, we can do this thing better together. So what does it look like to advance the kingdom in partnership with one another? So we've been working over the last several years to uh, partner in church planting, uh, partner in the development of new leaders, uh, partner in creating cultures of divine expectation, engagement cultures of disciple making, discipleship, and uh, we're excited today that we get to hang out with two church planters that are part of that region. Yes, these two church planters are in that region. They're doing a fantastic job, and they're planting in what we're calling is an under-resourced area. And so there's all sorts of different challenges and joys and, and different kinds of fruit and different kinds of people that we meet through that story. Uh, and today we are going to interview two pastors named uh, Pastor Leonard Tanks from uh, Reach City Church. Can you say hi, Pastor Tanks? Hey, what's going on, everybody? How y'all doing? All right, and, and Pastor Calvin Dorsey from Sandusky Life. What's going on? What's good? What's good? What's good? All right, so urban planting can mean a, a ton of things, and so we didn't want to just go into urban planting because there can be upwardly mobile urban planting, and, and, and there's, just all, there's all sorts of contexts that we're always dealing with. And, and so the context that we want to talk about today, where you guys are at, is an under-resourced context. Uh, we, we believe that God loves uh, every single context and, and wants to, he wants to bring the gospel to that context in a different way. And so we, we can't wait to go into the nuances of how God is bringing that gospel to this specific context today. And so would you just, just kind of alternate, uh, tell us 
how did God call you into church planting? And also, how did God call you into this specific context? This is uh, Calvin speaking. Um, so yeah, um, just give a, a kind of give a short that that um, the answer to that question is a little layered. Um, so I can tell where my heart began to start thinking toward um, planting a church, and it honestly started probably shortly after my conversion. Um, uh, grew up in a, um, like a suburb, um, around, um, Cleveland was called Maple Heights. And I used to always, uh, jog, um, the neighborhood, uh, still, still to this day, love jogging. And, uh, so I, I used to run past this one building that was like an old, uh, Kmart that had kind of like, uh, um, closed down and it was just this big open land of property. And, um, every time I would jog past it, um, and, it, and it, it, I didn't even know what church planning was. Like, so when I'm jogging past, none of those words or none of the words we use in, in Christendom were even going through my mind at the time. But um, I would jog past this place and I said, I said, I always ask myself, I would say, man, it would be so dope. It would be so amazing if there was a church um, could get this property and uh, it wouldn't function like a normal church. Um, it uh it would more function as like a community center or a life center for the community mm-hmm. um and it was it would be focused around uh helping people get jobs helping people with food helping people it would be this place where um the community would come and and, and really uh receive life and so that's that's where it's the little things started tweaking um and i didn't know what that would look like or what that uh what would come in, how it would come into fruition. And then fast forward some years later, um, I'm in ministry now. I'm, I'm, I understand what it means to be a pastor somewhat, I guess. I don't even know if I know what that means now, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm doing my jogging thing. And this time I'm on East 118th um, in Kinsman and I'm jogging and I'm seeing uh, this little strip and there's literally churches, church buildings, um, probably every block. Um, and, but right next to, right down the street from a church building was crack house, uh, just craziness, man. I would see violence. I would see craziness everywhere. And then I, my heart began to lament in ways. Cause I said, wow, we have so many churches on every single corner. Um, but we still see so much, um, devastation. And so once again, my heart began to break again. Um, and so I'm originally from Cleveland. And so my heart was already, I, I mean, I love the city of Cleveland to death, but my heart was not just breaking for Cleveland, but it was breaking for the hood, um, low income, under-resourced places. And I said, you know, there has to be something different. There has to be something um, that can happen where a church, um, not just being a building, not just being this, this, this uh, edifice, but where people could literally come and get life. Um, and restoration. And so that kind of started the wheels. Um, and then God ended up uh, uh, having a path to teach me some things. And he sent me uh, to Siberia, or I, as I like to call it, uh, Sandusky, Ohio. The reason why I call it Siberia, because man, uh, if, if, if it's more than 10 miles away from Cleveland, I feel like I'm in a whole nother world. <laughs> um, so um, he ended up sending me to Sandusky, Ohio, um, to a, a low income, under-resourced area um, with, uh, some diverse, um, mixed individuals in the demographic. And we're, I'm getting at, we're just getting after this, uh, 
this thing called uh, uh, church planning in an under-resourced area. So that's kind of just a super, super condensed version, but that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. Yeah, so kind of in the same vein as that, um, a little bit different, but in the same vein as that, born and raised in, in Cleveland, Ohio, um, didn't grow up in a, with a church background. <clears throat> the difference, well, here's the interesting thing. <clears throat> Calvin is actually was one of the first people to disciple me uh, when I came to the Lord. So, uh, <laughs> so a lot of me rubs off. So a lot of him rubs off on me. Um, I don't know how much of me rubs yes, off on him though, but uh, uh, at the same I'm time. I want to apologize right now for, for some of the things that, you know, he discipled you in. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so for me, I actually kind of started off uh, wanting to be a church planner for all the, I guess I would say all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in church, man. I was, I was kind of grew up doing a lot of nonsense in the world, in the streets. Um, got to church, um, got saved in jail. It's another story, but got saved in jail, started going to church, um, and just kind of looked at um, the prestige that pastors were getting. And, and I was just kind of like, yo, man, I'm just trying to transfer that from the streets to the church, and I want to be that guy as well. And so, uh, yeah, man, started going to school, felt like I had a call to, to teach and preach, and you know, end up going to school and I was like, oh, I'm going to start a church. I'm going to start a church so I can be the man. And uh, God sent me to my pastor, uh, Dr. Ron Morrison, to learn what it means to be a shepherd. And as I was sitting under him, um, I didn't want to. Then I stopped wanting to plant a church. You know, Ty would come talk to me. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not a church planner. And the reason that I, I started to feel like that was I was like, I seen what shepherding really was. And it wasn't about the glory and it wasn't about the lights. It was about caring for people. And I had got to this place where I was like, no, the whole reason I wanted to pastor wasn't about doing this. <laughs> it was about <laughs> being up there preaching and getting patted on your back every Sunday. And when I saw what it really meant to be a shepherd, you know, from a true shepherd, I was like, planting a church, maybe that's not what I'm supposed to do. And so then I didn't want to plant a church anymore. Uh, I just wanted to kind of be where I was at, learn, preach every now and then, have some, some leadership responsibilities. And it wasn't until um, right after ordination, um, I believe it was 2016, we started a community outreach uh, initiative in Maple Heights. And so myself, uh, my pastor, um, and uh, one of my co-planters now, Myrna Craig, we began to... So we, we got a new mayor in Maple. Um, we went to the mayor with Paul Honeycutt from Envision and we said, hey, how do we help serve you as being Maple Heights being under-resourced? Um, how do we help serve you do things that you can't accomplish? And she had let us know that, hey, we, we need, you know, we don't have anything for the youth. And so we said, listen, can we adopt the basketball court? Can we adopt the park? Um, because nothing was happening there and run programs for youth out of there. And so we began to do that. And so what began to happen was I would go up to the, I would go up to the basketball course every day um, and I would just sit and listen to the guys and I would just hear their stories. And, you know, I didn't talk a lot much then, just would play with them. Year two came around, began to build relationships with them um, and just kind of seeing, heard their stories, you know, and there became, there became stories behind the nonsense, you know, and, and my heart began to break. And what I began to realize was that, man, nobody, Nobody is reaching out to them. Nobody is hearing their voice. Uh, and I began to reflect on my own life and realize that 
you know, at 24 years old, I got saved in jail, but I can't recall. I can't recall. I won't, I won't, I don't want to say it never happened, but I can't recall a time where anybody ever evangelized me and preached the gospel to me. Um, I can't recall where I ever had a mentor. I was raised by my father, but um, where I ever had a, you know, a positive mentor tell me, you know, get out of the streets. And I began to look at those guys and I said, man, where's the church at? Um, they're not saying the church wasn't doing anything, but my head was like, where's the church at? And God began to break my heart. And what God said was, listen, you have a story. You come from a similar background and you're not afraid to be in those environments. You know, I'm comfortable in those environments. And he said, and that's why I need you to plant a church. I need you to be a voice in communities around amongst people where the average person is like, yo, I'm not. I don't want to be around. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, you know, and and it was at that moment that all of a sudden, all of, I I didn't like being at church anymore. I went to my pastor and I said, "Hey man, these not my people." <laughs> I was like, "Man, these people in here are not the people I'm supposed to be shepherding." Man, I said, "My heart is for for guys that are under resourced. I call them those people. You know, society says stay away from those people. I want you hanging out with those people." I said, man, "I'm called to those people." And, and, and I hit up Todd and I was like, Hey man, I think it's time to plant a church. Mm. Well, I, I got stuck on a couple of things there, uh, in, in a good way. One thing I got stuck on is that, um, you, you went into plant a church and your heart was to ask a question, uh, to the mayor, how can we, how can we serve you as opposed to how we typically go in as church planters and go, Listen, we got the goods, and so why don't you just give us give us a building, and we're gonna we're gonna bring this nice program here, and we got everything you need. That's the, that's not really the posture of Jesus. The posture of Jesus is what you brought. How can how can we serve you? How can we wash your feet as a as a community? And then the other thing you said was I call them those people. I mean that's that's amazing, right? Obviously, we know that Jesus is always looking to speak to, love, listen to the people on the margins. And so that is, that's the heart of Jesus. Uh, and, and I don't mean to break up the flow here, but, but I just got stuck on those, on those things as, as both of you share your heart to be a shepherd to the people. Yeah. Both these dudes, man, uh, it'd be a lot of fun to unpack a little bit more of their story because uh, even though they grew up sort of in the hood environment, uh, they've both gone to some places that are even deeper into the hood, into some places that are crazy rough uh, to be the salt and light of Jesus Christ. And so, man, uh, if I don't get another shot of saying this, I'm just proud to run with you dudes. Good dudes. Listen, there are some other guys out there, some other ladies out there that are considering or maybe already are planting in an under-resourced environment, whether it's uh, under-resourced urban environment or some of these crazy deep rural places that are under-resourced uh, and they're out there shepherding they're trying to be faithful um, you guys you guys are in those under-resourced environments encounter some unique challenges that maybe some of the rest of the church planting world doesn't bump up against uh, but take just a few minutes and, and talk to us a little bit about the challenges of the under-resourced context I'll start off. Um, so it's funny. Um, 
the when you grow, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, so when you grow up in, and I and I know we're gonna keep saying under resourced. I'm a, for my kind. I'm a, sometimes I may use the term hood. So um, and y'all just know what I mean. But uh, growing up in the hood, you don't you don't all you don't realize the things that you have to do to survive, um, and things that become uh, common practice. So a lot of times there was never this time where I began to study or analyze any of the things that were typically uh, just the experience of growing up in those neighborhoods and uh, being a product of that, didn't understand the school system, didn't understand uh, my parents moving from different homes and different things like that. So um, I didn't become to analyze it until I actually started planning (laughs) um, in uh, the hood. And when I began, when we started to plant, it became all these different barriers that I remember growing up became relevant to the church plant and affected everything we did. Um, a big one for us um, is something that we always talk about is just a lack of employment um, in those areas. Um, so people don't, people often don't realize that churches, um, if you don't know, we, we are a nonprofit. Yeah, if you make, if you, <laughs> it would nonprofit mean that you don't uh, we're not selling goods um, and different things to make income. So majority of how a church functions uh, fiscally is due to the giving of a local congregation. And so um, when you are dealing with uh, a congregation that is a lot of them are unemployed, um, a lot of them are, are on governmental assistance um, and dealing with those challenges, that that doesn't translate to, to good offerings. Uh, uh, you guys had, I believe you guys had, a, uh, you called him K-Hawk. Uh, I don't know if he, that's his name, but uh, we joked. Um, <laughs> we joked a few uh, months back and he said, you know, one day, one Sunday, I looked in the collection plate and we had uh, two scratch off tickets um, and, um, and a paper clip. And I said, uh, I said, well, you know, I, I said, I didn't seen that too many times. Um, but the reality is, is that, it affects um, uh, how your church can function. It, 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 it affects buildings. It affects where you meet. It affects staffing. Um, it affects so many different areas. Um, and what I often say about that, uh, even when it comes to just lack of income in that way, um, people don't realize this. Just because you are in an under-resourced, you're in a hood environment, it doesn't mean your expenses go down. And that, that is the thing that uh, uh, food still costs the same, uh, gas still costs the same, um, education still costs the same. Uh, we still, we still all, every denomination wants their pastors to have uh, 18 degrees in a thermometer. So we, you know, and then, and then the more that happens, but all that stuff still costs the same. Um, but generally um, the resources that come back in from those communities. And, um, and so often when you do want to, uh, 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 um, usher in giving or any of that way, there's such a, a stigma, stigmatism that applies to uh, urban pastors is that, you know, everybody's always talking about money, is always talking about money. But when the reality is, is that many pastors in urban areas are not living well or not living great um, and uh, are, are working. Uh, many of them, my mentors um, and people I look to as peers and things of that sort, they all have worked. They work full-time jobs and on top of their full-time job uh they're they're doing part-time jobs uh uh odd jobs here and there on top of being a lead pastor 
Um, and so I've seen that uh, way too too often. So that's just the first thought that comes immediately to my mind is just um, what what is affected on the income uh, level for a church. Yeah, and the expectations don't change, do they? So so the expectation for the pastor, even though he's doing all that, doesn't change. What what are some of the challenges you see, Pastor Tanks? Yeah, so in the same way, uh, I 100% agree with uh, Calvin um, on the financial side. So I, I won't I won't speak to that. Um, just ditto. <laughs> um, and in addition to that, what I what I see, uh, what I what I have begun to experience is um, a few things. One is the distrust of another church in the community. Um, so especially so in, in our context in Cleveland, um, planting in Ward 7 in the Huff community, um, it, I mean, the, the urban communities, uh, impoverished black communities are, I mean, are saturated with, with churches on every corner, two on a corner, house church deliverance ministries, churches across the street, first and second Baptist right next to each other. <laughs> and, and and one of the things that you hear a lot is that with all of these churches, uh, there is there is no transformation within the community. Um, and if, if 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 church is supposed to do that, if if believers, church being the body, uh, are supposed to be transformed individuals, then you would expect that if you have that many churches in the community, you should see transformation happening within the community and the people in the community. And so, which when people begin to feel like being that there's already this this pressure of, of finances uh is that so you have churches in the community not paying taxes not giving back and then they're not giving back to the community so they're 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 taking up property that could fund and provide income into the community um and then they're not even giving back to the community but at the same time taking up tithes and offerings and people are like then what are you doing with it and so that has created, and that's not every church. That's not every church. Please hear me out. That's not every church. Um, however, from the out, from the outsider, they just bunch all churches into the same bubble. And so then you have a church coming on the scene, and it's like, oh, another church, <laughs> another church. Uh, you know, and and so it's just a di a distrust. And so I've experienced that. Um, you know, being in a community trying to build relationships. It used to be a time when you said you was a pastor and you got respect and people trusted you. Now you say you're a pastor and people looking at you like, oh, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't get the you don't get the response to your email no more because they found out <laughs> you were a pastor. Uh, it was all good a week ago, and so um, <laughs> so I, I found that to be a struggle, and and so trying to slow walk it, which leads to you know even what Calvin was talking about. The reality is ministry is ministry takes resources. And when you're slow walking it, that means you're not getting certain resources you need to do ministry, but you're actually doing ministry. Um, and, and, so, and so that creates that, that pressure and burden financially. Um, and so that's, a, that's a, a challenge, slow walking, how to slow walk it, how to build trust while at the same time um, being able to press the ministry forward. So that's one that I've seen. I wanna, I wanna add, so it's something interesting and so like we we constantly will keep hearing to say uh under resource we'll say urban and what what do we see this this is primarily a poverty issue um and the, and the reason why black 
and brown people will generally come up a lot in the conversation or we'll say urban, we'll say black neighborhoods and things of that sort is because um, the uh, black minorities ha are, are grossly um, affected by poverty. So a lot of times you see, you see the same issue. So I, I, I experienced this um, even more moving out to Sandusky. Sandusky, um, it's impoverished is um, white rural and black urban. So it's actually funny. I discipled a guy who his favorite store is Cabela's, but his favorite uh, rap group is Wu-Tang. That is a combination <laughs> you will never see. You will never see like um, uh, out here. Um, but um, you end up seeing um, those, these different dynamics. But what I, I want to say about that is that it, it becomes a, the poverty issue, it strikes both, but you see it affecting way more um, minorities um, than you do um, um, uh, the majority or white culture. Um, so even in our church, we uh, strive to be a multicultural church and it's even affected um, our minority members on average um, make one fifth uh, what our white members make. Um, or um, so, yeah, we see that even affected even in our uh, dynamics and shifts, even in our church plant out here. So it, um, I just, it, it's a, it's a, uh, the resources is huge and it's a, it affects so many different people, but it especially affects, um, minority communities the hardest. Mm. Calvin, did you say, did you say a white guy likes Wu-Tang Clan? No, he's not white. He's actually a mixed, uh, brother. Um, but his favorite store is Cabela's. And I was going to see a ghost face killer. Uh, <laughs> is that too much? Is that... He may be more of a method man. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so that was one. And, and then I, the, other, the only other one I would add that I see is this, this is going, uh, Calvin maybe can speak on if, if, it, if it's affected out there in the same sense. I know it is. Um, but then just uh, the, the distrust. Um, so my, my context currently is, is uh, 92, 87% black. Um, and so not just the distrust in the church, but the distrust in the Christian religion. Um, and so in our community, there's the rise of, of is not the rise, but you have the nation of Islam, you know what I'm saying? And now you have um, the rise of the black Hebrew Israelite movement. Um, and so you have all of these, you know, they, that make claims to being the religion of the black man and then Christianity obviously being, the, not obviously, but from their standpoint, being the religion of the white man, um, the white man's religion, that becomes a hindrance and a hurdle, um, not to older folks, but to the younger generation, you know, when they look at Christianity. So now there's, there's part of your discipleship process is you have to unpack <laughs> all of the the whitewashing that has occurred in Christianity that has not been repented of, that has uh, left this ugly mark that has caused younger African millennial brothers and sisters to feel like that's not our religion. Um, but my religion is Islam. My religion is the nation. My religion is Black Hebrew Israelite. And, and these, these, these individuals are, um, just, just be honest, they're, they're far more active community-wise uh, than the church and so their faces out there and they're telling you exactly what they're doing and so I found even that to be a challenge where if they don't trust the church from a financial aspect 
then they don't even think that Christianity is something that a black person <laughs> uh, should be following to begin with. And so I have to um, deal with that. Praise God, you know, my master's degree, shameless plug, absolutely shameless education plug, uh, is in Christian apologetics. So I, I love it, but it's a challenge. Um, no, I, no, I, I could just say um, yes and amen <laughs> um, to everything um, that Tank said. That is, that is, we see it um, heavily, like we say, in the younger demographics. Um, and, and I think this point is a, is a challenge, but I think it's tied to what Tank said is that much of Christian, what I'll say like this, um, resources, when I say resources, I'm talking about discipleship material, Christian curriculum, all of that stuff is generally geared to one demographic of people. And it's generally dealt to middle-class white suburban people. So a challenge is, is the material. Um, we, we just, our team went through a discipleship and was trying to find this, and we found a really, we love the material, but every single video and every single structure didn't have anybody that looked like them. And so we're like, this is gonna be tough. Um, and then it even plays within, um, uh, when you get material, it plays into the fact of, of the, uh, the education level of the people. So I, I'll, in our church, we, we run into uh, problems where we have individuals who are at like a third or fourth grade reading level. Um, and so you pass them a discipleship book or you say, Hey, you know, we're going to read, uh, we want to read this book. This book is great for, and, and, and they come back to me and, and it's, and I'm not even exaggerating. It may take that person, um, uh, a really long time just to make it through the first page because they don't understand so many of the words. So a lot of material is not geared, um, for people in urban. So it, it's, um, all those challenges um, become presented often. And so it, I think it plays even more so uh, with what Tank just said, like um, the, the misinformation that, that, that spreads throughout um, hood environments or under-resourced environments um, plays a big part into that. Um, and so that becomes another challenge or barrier that I know I'm constantly facing and I'm sure Tank is too as well. Hey, tell us a little bit about the challenge you guys are finding in raising up leaders for multiplication. So, sometimes in the under-resourced environment, it provides a, a unique responsibility or challenges in that area specifically. Well, I think, I think it depends on, I think it's, it spreads across depending on what organization we're talking about, but primarily the struggle is financial. Um, the struggle is financial when, and, and, a lot of times, especially when you're talking about leaders who may feel a call to preach, may feel a call to pastor, um, may feel a call to multiply a ministry, um, there's a level of education that, that is, is required in most organizations to do so. Um, but education isn't free. Um, shameless plug, I just try to encourage people to embrace discipleship because it's free education. You know, if you got an educated leader sit underneath them because it's free education <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh the, it, it costs um it costs money to go to seminary it costs money to get certificates like it costs money and when you're dealing with people who are already in um under-resourced um and now you're asking them even when you have alternative methods but you're still asking them to give you five six thousand seven thousand dollars on the low end that can be a lot. That can be a lot of money for them when they're only barely getting by to begin with. And 
you're going to multiply them in an area that's not going to be able to honestly, just be honest, pay for their degree. You know, my degrees will never be paid for from church planting and ministry. Um, you know, shout out to 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 a wife, but um, <laughs> um, and so that becomes that becomes a that becomes a hindrance and a struggle and. So, and then people, because they have a heart and a passion for ministry, they go take on that debt. But then they don't even realize that that debt, depending on organizations, can actually stop you from even being able to go into ministry because now you have the debt and you have to think about that. And so I think that's, that's, a, huge, that's a huge struggle. Um, and, and, and right along that same vein, you're calling people out of their context to go into an seminary or an educational institution that is not educating them in how to do ministry in their context. Um, this should be honest, seminaries aren't, aren't filled with a lot of practicality. It's all, it's more theology or orthodoxy. It's not actually a lot of practicality. And no, so, no, 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 come on now. Easy, Justin. You know, that, you know. <laughs> whenever, whenever I say stuff like that, I always be like, I have two degrees. I'm not an education hater. <laughs> I love education, but I'm gonna tell you the real. <laughs> and I want to add to that. It's it's interesting because I even wrestle with this. You, in that time of you being educated, you lose a lot of your relational capital, um, and you lose the voice. Sometimes you become educated. Um, and, and when I say educated, uh, you become educated by systems that are culturally different from yours. So you come back and you come back quoting Spurgeon or you come back quoting them and the average hood dude is looking at you like, I don't care. And so, um, or the average family is looking at you. So that becomes um, a barrier that uh, you don't necessarily always um, get. But there's a, another piece I wanted to tag on to what Tank said was the the when you talk about education and people saying well now to go with this organization go to this organization you have to have this amount of ed education that costs money what it uh, uh forcibly ends up doing is that now that person has debt and so now they they want they say i want to go back to the church where i came from or i want to come back to the hood the neighborhood i grew up in and that church says well listen we don't have the resources to hire you and they say, well, how am I going to pay off this debt? Well, then here comes a middle-class church who loves your skills, loves your talents, loves everything that you can bring to the table. They say, we'll hire you. And you say, well, we'll hire you and we'll pay this and we'll even give you some money to help pay back your debt. So now that person has a burden and a desire to, to go back to this under-resourced neighborhood but because of financial strength, they end up making the decision to go to a church that may or may not need them. <laughs> um, that's on staff with 50 or 60 other people. Um, but that under-resourced church um, still doesn't have the staff to be able to um, adequately um, minister to um, and equip all the people. So that becomes, and, 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 and the truth be told, that person got a lot of their foundational uh, growth and development um, at that under-resourced church. Then they, they said, well, I want to get licensed. I want to go, I want to become a pastor. Well, I got to go through all these different steps. Now I got the education, now I got the debt. Hey, I was doing all this so I can work in this context, but man, <laughs> my way my bank account worked, it don't look like that's going to happen. So 
um, I'm gonna go take this other job. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've seen that happen. Um, and I, I'm. I've seen it happen too many times where I can. I can't even count anymore. Yeah. One of, one of the challenges I that I've heard you guys talk about in the past was just that. You know, church planting, uh, at least in our context, we got we got some other churches around us that like to partner with church plants and like to jump in and, and at least provide some help from the outside in some fashion. But a lot of times that's a challenge, uh, getting that help from the outside. And once that help shows up, what that help looks like can be a challenge. Talk to us a little bit about that challenge when good people from the outside want to try to do something good, but it isn't necessarily what it should be. Um, um, I'll, I'll kind of keep going and I'll let you tank, uh, come in. Um, that, that is probably um, one of the most uh, exhausting things that can um, hit you in the midst. You, you know you need uh, resources to get things done. You need partnership. Um, but other churches that want to partner, most of the time when people want to partner, the, the natural question that comes in everyone's, here's the heart, here's what's pulling out the heart. What do I get for my dollar? And that becomes a question. So when someone says, uh, many people and organizations and churches included, they do not donate or support without knowing that it can benefit them in some way. And that may mean um, more exposure for them, um, that may mean um, maybe that church needs to uh, uh, promote to their back to their congregants to make their congregants feel good that they're helping this poor uh, 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 church or so. Whatever that feel, whatever it is that, that they want, they want to sell it to that they're, or they want to use your church to say, well, look, we support XYZ, so we are doing urban missionary. They want to try to take the credit attached with that. Right. The capital is not always money. Exactly. Sometimes the, the, the image that you get or the reputation that you get. Exactly. And so the, the image attached to it and what that does is that puts a ton of strings attached to the dollars. And so now the, the church planner or the lead pastor or the staff on, on that feels obligated to do a lot. Um, they either have to come to a series of events at your church or they have to come and do a series of reports or they got to come preach at your church six times a year. They got to do all these things just so you can deposit $100 a month into their the church's bank account. And now that planter is trying to partner because he cares so much about the people in the community he's in. He's willing to do anything. And now at times you find yourself as uh, we in the urban community or the black community, we say we, could, we call it shucking jobbing or tap dancing. And so you end up having to, to do all these different things sometimes um, uh, when, you're, when your heart is just to reach the people. And so it puts you in a lot of uh, compromising situations and then you become overworked and too spread out anyways. Um, and it, it, so it, sometimes in, in some ways it's some, it becomes counterproductive. Um, well, let me ask you this then is is the correct heart what pastor tank said at the beginning which is a church to approach you and just say what what do you need like the community development principle what how can we help even if it's even if it's prayer like what what, what is the correct approach here that sounds like jesus um that sounds a lot like jesus right there um when 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 i have Church, the, the biggest help that I've ever gotten is when I've had churches come and say, 
how can we help? I really get that question. I really get that question. It, wow. it, I generally get, this is what we're willing to do. And so, and then here's, and here's the stipulations of what we're willing to do. Um, and so um, it, 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 that is, like I say, that's Jesus. When someone can come along and say, well, where can we help? Where, where are the gaps at? Where are the holes at? And this is how we can help. And this is what we're willing to do. Um, and we're just, we, we care so much about the advancement of the kingdom that we want to partner with you in the work that you're already doing. Um, and not, uh, coming in with, uh, uh some type of, um, agenda or a uh, thing that's going to strain out the team even more or stress out the team even more. I feel like we learned this with overseas missions, didn't we? We learned that, you know, paying thousands of dollars to send Americans somewhere to build a wall and take away jobs and when they didn't even need the wall and they took away the, the locals jobs in the meantime and they had to make us chicken and rice five times a day it was more of a strain on that. so we learned it with overseas missions but we don't learn it with any other development that we're trying to chase after so you're saying the question is point blank no strings attached uh whether you you know no pictures attached no instagram photos attached what can we do to serve and help period that's it question mark that's it that's it yeah you guys have articulated some of the challenges so well um can you can you articulate how god's grace is going to win in all this and, and how it's winning right now in in your congregation um i can uh man um the way god is winning is um god's uh plans and what he does cannot be thwarted by man um and so mankind we're we're, we're flawed we're just we're just flawed individuals um as a as a whole and so the parts where um man uh may fall short or may not get it right god comes in and he just uh empowers people in creative ways um he's he's shown our team um uh how to get things done when you don't have resources um attached to our church also is a a, a nonprofit a community center um that we do a lot of work in um through the community um we we do uh, food programs, uh, job programs, different things to empower people. Um, I'm constantly working with people um, who uh, struggle on reading areas, trying to get them up to part of reading so they can get better jobs and so they can do more in their community. Um, we we see um, uh, uh, the way uh, through that nonprofit, we're able to uh, also get um, governmental grants and assistance and things of that sort. So it becomes a way to circumvent um, and to be honest, uh, here's, and this is, this is probably may seem, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it may not seem, uh, uh, like the biggest way, but it, to us, it is, um, it's sacrifice. Um, what we've seen is a, gr a, a great deal of people partnering, uh, and joining the work who are sacrificing, um, sacrificing their time, um, their talent and their treasure. Um, people who have come, uh, we had a guy, uh, recently our newest pastor to come on staff. He, uh, left a full-time position at a church and got a job in the community, um, because he believes in the work. 
And so um, he has sacrificed uh, a, a cushy paycheck and a, 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 a one a type situation, and he's um, put himself in the thick of it um, with his family. Um, and he's working in the community, um, and he's also working his heart um, in the church. So um, God's people are persevering. Um, people are hearing the gospel and getting saved. Baptisms are happening. Discipleship is happening. Um, we've gotten creative with creating our own discipleship platforms. Um, we've gotten creative with uh, partnering uh, with um, uh businesses and organizations in town that don't come with strings attached. And so through that, we, uh, uh, through the power of God, um, through his love, through everything that he has allotted for us, we've figured out creative ways to push past all those resource barriers and push. And I'm not going to sit here in front and say, well, well, everything is fine now because God, well, it's a work in progress. Some days are, are, um, uh, we rejoice at an extremely high level of what God was able to do with so little. He's been multiplying fish like crazy um, in our community. Um, and we rejoice at that. But then there's times where we turn and we say, all right, we, we ran out of fish. What do we do now? <laughs> and so, um, and so, but God has still been blessing us through and through um, in spite of um, the uh, shortcomings of man. So, yeah. No, no, that's that, that's real. Um, I agree with you, man. God, God's plans can't be thwarted. Um, I'm reminded in Haggai, uh, as they were rebuilding the second temple, and they were looking at the what was in light of they were looking at what they were building now in light of what already was, and it became discouragement. Um, and I'm just reminded that God said, "Listen, once again, I'll shake the earth. I'll shake the earth, and I'll bring resources from the nations." And, and he was reminding them that, yeah, you may not have Solomon's money to build the first temple, uh, he says, but I have the resources of the nations and the kings, and I will bring forth uh, what, what my plan is. And so I'm always reminded of that in the midst of all of these difficulties and complications that, man, God, you brought us here. You told us to go here, which means regardless of the obstacles, you must have a plan um, to blow our mind. And, and my mind is constantly blown. Um, I, I was encouraged just even by this weekend. Um, I was on a board meeting call yesterday and we, people were talking about finances and how do you still have a campaign for in the midst of this pandemic? And it was like, hey, man, our giving has increased by $2,500 wow. since the pandemic. Um, and, it's, and it's because people are, here's the thing, people are being able to tune in um, that that normally couldn't be here and they're hearing what we're doing and they're like, hey, I want to support that. And so God is bringing resources. It just literally just blows my mind. Uh, some, day, some days what happened, being able to wake up, go to my, you know, I'm, I'm going to be real. Like, let's just be, let's talk about the practical, sitting in my house one day talking about resources and, and, and somebody comes over to my house for a discipleship meeting and has me an envelope for a thousand dollars. <laughs> and say, listen, we believe in y'all. You know what I'm saying? It's a random check coming in the mail for $3,000 that says we believe in what we're just trying to do. Um, and, it, and here's the thing. It has come from people that I didn't even think were watching. Mm. Um, literally were watching leaders of other churches that have never mentioned a thing about Reach City Church to me. And then they're, and I'm giving real numbers. These, are, these aren't made up. And then a $1,500 check comes in the mail with their name. on. And I'm like, I didn't even know you cared about what we were doing. Um, and I just look at that like, you know, Todd, 
gets up at Central District with a Reach City Church shirt on and says, listen, I'm selling shirts for a thousand dollars or something. And somebody writes a check for nine hundred something dollars for a t-shirt for Reach City Church name on it. Um, like, like God has been God has done things like that that has constantly reminded me that finances is nothing to God. Uh, if you just stay the course and do what God has told you to do, it doesn't mean it's not stressful and it's not, you're not pulling your hair out some days and you like, God, I sure wish you would just shake the earth right now. Um, and just let me see it in the savings account. It doesn't mean that, but, but God, but what it does do for me is it, it is the affirmation or the affirming of God that I'm on the right track, that he's with me. And if he dropped it all in our lap in the beginning, I don't know if I would, how much I would have to depend on him. I don't know if I would constantly have to keep going back to him and saying, God, am I in the right path? God, am I walking the right way? And every time I pray that, it's not always money that comes, but he always answered that with some type of affirmation or encouragement that I am moving the way he's told me to move. And so that that's how God has been showing up. Um, he has just been just randomly having people um, he's actually checked my heart. If, if like I, I, I made bold statements before, um, and and I've had to go repent to the father, not to the people, but to the father. Probably need to repent to them too, but to the father, like because all of a sudden, like you know, they're calling, they're praying, they're they're asking questions, and I'm like, Dad, I didn't think y'all really, you know, gave a crap, honestly. And and so God has been doing that type of amazing thing, showing His hand, showing His power, regardless. Of yeah, um, you guys are doing some incredible work. You've you've sacrificed a lot. Uh, you've you've moved your families, uh, and um, the, the Lord's the Lord's blessing you guys for your faithfulness to Him. And uh, it's great to hear these stories. Do this for us as we wrap this thing up. Um, we could rewind the tape a little bit. Uh, what would you want to say to a younger you uh, on, on the front end of thinking about planting in a under-resourced environment or Calvin moving to Siberia? Um, what, what would you say to a younger you? Uh, maybe how that spills over into some younger guys, some younger ladies out there that are saying, man, I, I this is where my heart is as well. What, what would you say to a younger, just before they start kind of individual going into one of these contexts? It's so funny. Um, so they gave, you guys had like a, a, a bit of a, like a show rundown kind of beforehand. And I saw that question and I've been thinking about it um, ever since the first time I heard the question. And I'm a guy who always is being really reflective and going back. And, and it's like, I can go through all these different um, things of, to warn myself and say, Hey man, make sure you do this and make sure you, you, you have this team and make sure you have this structure in place. Make sure you can do that. And I, and I think that list of what a shoulda, couldas can probably be endless. Um, but if I, if I had to say one sobering thing or one thing that I would probably just tell um, that kid who was jogging um, through uh, Maple Heights, the kid that was jogging through East Cleveland, is um, don't be afraid to take faith field risk. Um, uh, don't be afraid. Um, don't walk in fear. Um, jump off the cliff and worry about a parachute later. 
Um, and is it is it is the times where um, my greatest regrets come from times where I mo- operated and moved out of a place of fear instead of faith. And um, I truly believe um, that that is probably the thing I would say to him. Man, he probably would look at me like I'm crazy, but hopefully he will listen. <laughs> no, that's good, man. Uh, I feel like a couple of times in our my relationship with you, I've had to throw you a few parachutes because you jump off quick. lift jumper um yeah so (laughs) younger me uh that's an interesting question just because calvin's obviously been in church plant world now for about what six seven years uh and i'm 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 in year one of it um (laughs) so i i here here's what i'll tell the younger me from the mistakes i made already (laughs) um man Discipleship is all that matters. Um, don't get caught up in the church planting models of America. Don't get caught up in the banners. Don't get caught up in all of the marketing and all of the top tier technology stuff. I'm not saying it's not a time for that, but I'm saying don't get caught up in that. Churches are planted because people are, disciples are being made. And my personal thing is I started that way and then I got off track. I got caught up. And when I got caught up, I stopped making disciples. And where the ministry was growing, when we were just meeting, talking about Jesus and praying, people started falling off when we was doing interest gatherings and trying to figure out how to get banners and stuff. Now, we about to get banners now, but I'm just saying it was a season where <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't time for that. The only thing that should have been being done in that season was trying to make disciples, build relationships in the community. And when we were doing that, God was doing some things. And when I stopped all of that, because I started thinking about church planting stuff in the sense of Sunday service, let's just say Sunday service, um, that became my focus. I stopped meeting with my team. We stopped having our Bible studies in the community that were working and people started falling off. And as I prayed to God in frustration, he simply reminded me that uh he hasn't went anywhere i'm just not in the same place as he is anymore (laughs) and to get back to discipleship and so that that would be my thing if you're thinking about going into ministry planting a church man the the most important i'm going to say you'll hear me say this a thousand times over jesus started at the christian movement by teaching 11 men because the 12th one fell off a cliff by teaching 11 men how to fish for men and then those 11 men teaching other men how to fish for men until we get to Acts 17. And they say that those men who are turning the world upside down have now come into our town. Jesus started a movement by teaching people how to make disciples that made disciples that made disciples. That is the church planting model. That is the ministry model. And if I could remind myself of that for the seven months that I wasted trying to get caught up in how many banners we should have, how great should our worship be, um, I would do it all over again and not think about that stuff until in this season when it's when we're supposed to be launching now. And so that was what I, that's what I would tell myself. Yeah. Wow. Uh, last two comments here are worth, worth gold. Yeah. Uh, not that the, the rest wasn't, but uh, we could take the last two things you dude said, chop them up and uh, call that a podcast for all times. Uh, really, really wise words to a younger you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, just to just to recap those last two, be strong and courageous. That Joshua word, don't fear. 
it's going to get rough, but just keep moving your feet toward Jesus. And goodness, make, it's all about this. That's the model. <laughs> the model is make disciples who make disciples. Uh, we can write, you know, seven books on different models, attractional, missional, flipping all that. It doesn't matter. The model is to make disciples who make disciples. So thank you guys for bearing your heart and soul for us all. Thank you, Todd, for, for helping us out here and co-hosting. And uh, even though you, your basement is creepy, uh, we, we, we still got a lot out of, out of you as well. Uh, fellas, we, we got to do this again sometime. Um, right. because we appreciate uh, the, the student that you are for your context, the student you are to love the people uh, in your context. And I, I believe we've given the church planning world something good here just from uh, what came out of your heart. So thank you. Uh, we will see you all soon, or you'll, you'll hear us all soon on all things church planting. Thanks once again to Pastor Tanks and Pastor Calvin. Thank you for having us. Thank you, man. Peace. Thank you for listening to All Things Church Planting. Do you need a friend to change the world with? So do we. Once again, check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Life is too short to plant churches alone. And if we are going to power church planting movement, we are going to do it together. See you next time on All Things Church Planting Podcast.